Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Sam Haller and this week we'll be discussing Mike Mills' 20th Century Women. Joining me today is Jenna. Hi. And Jake. Hello. Hello. This week we are also joined by the director of the film, Mike Mills, and that interview will be coming up in a bit. We also have a competition for you guys. So uh, a question we put up on social media sometime today, uh, the answer to which will be something said in the show. So listen and pay attention. And then the question will be up later today. And you have the chance to win a vinyl copy of the soundtrack to the film, which is amazing. Very jealous. Wish I could win it. But first up, let's have a question. So... The film uh, is about essentially is about a mother-son relationship, and you know the past weeks we've had a father-daughter relationship in Tony Erdman and a sort of uncle-nephew relationship in Manchester by the Sea. Uh, so today, focusing on the mother and son, my question for you guys is: pitch me the perfect mother-son duo in a film. Let's start with Jake. Okay, uh, so I initially was looking, uh, trying to think of like my favourite film mums. And then I kind of went down a sidetrack of that and failed to forget think about the sons. Uh, so I initially was thinking something with Emily Watson and Kelly McDonald because just, they're just great mums. <laughs> like, you just think, who would you want as a mum? And they would be brilliant. But I couldn't quite find the right sons. And I was trying to picture some kind of competition where they, they were both trying to be the better mum. <laughs> um, but in the end, I went for um, Amber Waves, who's Julianne Moore's uh, character in Boogie Nights, because uh, she's already quite, she's very uh, maternal in that film, and she's trying to branch away from the porn industry. And I kind of want maybe like a spin-off sequel from Boogie Nights that's just her, um, and having some kind of um, maternal filmmaker-tutor relationship with... Uh, someone played by Michael Barbieri, uh, who is the New York kid from Little Men. Nice. Uh, who's like the drama guy? Yeah. Um, uh, I think because he's brilliant in that, and I think you pair him and his his accent with, <laughs> with Julianne Moore's Boston one as well. Uh, you could have these accents flying around as these two go around the country trying to get out of the porn industry and into re- <laughs> real filmmaking. Uh, that's what I want. That's that. I love it, Jake. Yeah. Excellent, Jenna. Um, okay, well, I started off my journey differently, thinking about the best film kids. 
um, which led me very quickly to Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. I just don't think you get to see enough of him. I mean, I know he's the main star of two films, but I want to see him in his teenage years. I love his pranks. I love his imagination. I don't want to see what Macaulay Culkin is doing at home alone in his teenage years. (laughs) He doesn't have to be home alone, though, because this is the beauty of my film. We then get Uma Thurman from Kill Bill as a bride, because she is also, you know, pretty feisty. Yeah. (laughs) To put it mildly team them together and they don't even have to stay in the house well they could they could be like defending their home or they could just go out to the streets together and pull pranks on bad guys just hanging out yeah yeah I don't think you're taking my full suggestion very seriously (laughs) I'm sure Tarantino would be up for it (laughs) yeah definitely I think Macaulay Culkin would be up for it as well I think he would Tarantino's Home Alone would be incredibly violent exactly I'd like to see that uh, my choice is a, uh, a remake of Psycho with uh, Judy Dench as Mrs. Bates and Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> as Norman Bates. Yeah. Oh, why has no one done that yet? I know. Shot for shot? Uh, no, because uh, it will expand on the relationship between Mrs. Bates and Norman Bates. Okay. But just imagine... You can imagine Judy Dench as Mrs. Bates being kind of, you know, scowling towards her son. Mm. But then you can also imagine Dwayne Johnson calling Judy Dench mother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, mother. And What's up, doing, mother? And he's doing the accent. Yeah. And oh, he'll wow. also, uh, uh, inevitably, he'll have to wear <coughs> Judy Dench's clothes by the end of the film. And I think that's something we'd all really enjoy. <laughs> um, and th- this is no machinist. He's not going to be losing weight. This is full form Dwayne the Rock. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just make it so we've got to, you've got to have a training montage in there as well to explain why Norman Bates is so huge. I don't think I do. I think I trust audiences enough that they're 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 happy to accept they're, that Norman Bates is just a big guy in this new version. That they'll watch the film and they'll see Judy Dench and they'll see Dwayne Johnson <laughs> and you think, Yes, they, that, yeah. that is mother and son right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this can set up the whole Hitchcock cinematic universe of remakes. Yeah. All starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Judy Dench. Dench. (laughs) Yeah, so sometimes they're mother and son, sometimes they're lovers. North by Northwest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see him taking on loads of uh, Cary Grant roles. Yeah. I think I think I think we'd all want to see that. Yeah. Uh, Him in the Birds, I think would be great. Yeah. Uh, Vertigo. Imagine him. I mean, (laughs) when he leaping over the building, he just goes straight through the ceiling. Uh, rear window, I can really imagine. Yeah, that. He would be wonderful. <laughs> with Judy Dench as the um, <laughs> Grace Kelly role, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, oh. he'd just break through the cast. Yeah, like he did in Fast and Furious Seven. <laughs> if no one's seen that, there's a bit where he's in it. He's got his arm in a cast, and he just, sees there's some bad guys, and he says, "He literally he says, Daddy's, Daddy's got to go to work," and just breaks through the cast. So he'd do the same thing, but in Rear Window. Okay. So yeah, Psycho remake, Dwayne Johnson, Judy Dench. Wow. I'm impressed. I'd watch it. Yeah. 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 Do we think that's the winner? Yeah, I think that's got to be. Yeah. The, that's the pitch for this week. We got to give that the money. Excellent. That's the first time I've won. Oh, well done. Wow. Man. I won when I wasn't here. Yeah, that, no one's beaten that. <laughs> yeah. Was that Nat, 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 Natalie Portman, Gareth Gates, wasn't oh, it? The Gareth Gates story. I don't know what you were smoking when you came with that. <laughs> one, so as I mentioned earlier, we have a special guest this week. Uh, I met up a few weeks ago to speak to the film's director, Mike Mills, and we had a chat. So here is that. Enjoy. Okay, so uh, we're delighted to be joined now by uh, 20th Century Women director, Mike Mills. Mike, thank you for joining us. Yeah, 
So uh, I saw the film this morning. Oh, really enjoyed wow. it. Really loved it. Yeah. Um, so Beginners was obviously a very personal film for you. Uh -huh. So could you maybe tell us in what ways is 20th Century Women personal to you? Uh, well, it's um, similarly. It's um, the Annette Bening's character is based on my mom. Okay. And uh, Greta Gerwig's character is based on my sister. And uh, Elle Fanning's character is based on my first girlfriend and a bunch of women that I knew yep. growing up. And um, uh, I was kind of very much raised in a matriarchy or raised by women who taught me what it means to be a man or a boy or, uh, and taught me sort of everything. So I was trying to write about that. But I write from a personal place to really to try to make the best movie I can. I'm not trying to make a memoir, I'm not trying to do therapy yeah. in public. I'm trying to sort of report from a close distance and try to say something unique and genuine and with love about being human, you know? Okay. And um, that's where it comes from. Okay, yeah. excellent. Um, so I guess in a way you've kind of, you've have two films now where you've had characters representing yourself. Uh -huh. So you and McGregor's character in Beginners and here Jamie. Yeah. Uh, you is know, that not as good looking as me? <laughs> yeah. So is that a weird kind of casting someone to be yourself? And yeah. What do you look for in someone when casting a yourself. version of yourself? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, very handsome. Um, <laughs> uh, well, to be honest, I'm kind of in denial that those people are me. And I don't okay. like thinking about that. <laughs> it just makes me uncomfortable, and I'm just sort of been I'm duplicitous about it. Like they are me, but I don't want to. I don't want to admit it. So um, they're characters, as is my mother, as is my sister in this one. They're characters, and they have certain qualities to them. So you kind of distance yourself. And I'm not trying to have anyone be me, mimic me, or anything like that. They just need to be able to inhabit the basic kind of person. That this character is so Jamie is sort of like uh, what's the word he's more cerebral than mm -hmm. physical he's um, rough enough to be like a punk kid he's rough enough to get in a fight but he's not tough enough to win the fight right know? yeah so it's a, it's a specific kind of guy he, he's wanting to have sex but he hasn't had sex and it's a specific point in his life so I'm looking for that more than me and I really don't I'm just not comfortable thinking it's me it makes me yeah. cringe you know. So I guess in that way it's semi-autobiographical rather than full-on autobiographical. Well, yeah. It's and a it refracted version of you. Yeah, refracted or denied. <laughs> <laughs> and then the thing I'm much more interested in these portraits of like my mom, you know. Yeah. And, but even that, well, there's a lot of just straight up, completely real things that happened to her or her biography or how she died or she really wanted to be a pilot. She did yeah. smoke Salem's and wore Birkenstocks. All these details in the film are really from her. Uh, all the same, when you make it into a film, you're making it into like a public document. You're making it into a public story, and you're hoping that the realness of your source and your concrete details and your love that's mixed in with that charge the story, like mm. charge it up, and make it kind of more grippy and contagious to people. But you're cinematizing it, you know? And like I love Fellini, I love Amacord, yeah. I love Eight and a Half. And those movies are obviously very personal, but they're cinema at the same time. And so I feel like there's kind of a history of doing okay. this that I'm involved in. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to ask you because many directors do this kind of the semi-autobiographical, uh, biographical film yeah. at some point in their career, yeah. and you've done two in a row. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're kind of? I mean, I don't know how far down the line you're thinking of like <laughs> your filmography that it yeah. will be this kind of. 
a well, personal ex exploration of you. Yeah, well, it doesn't have to be me. What I do really like is real life and things I observed or memories or events in people's lives that don't like fit nicely into typical film plot. They're kind of disruptive mm. and they just smell like life more than they smell like a movie. Okay. And I love that. Like yeah. I love that as a viewer, as an audience member. So I, I want to keep doing that, but it doesn't have to be me. I could I could interview you about your life. Yeah. And and what are the salient, important, disruptive, meaningful things that happened, and then try to piece together cinema from that. So I, I think it's like more of a a journalist mentality. Okay. And trying to trying to inject that into what I do, and I like that process. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned there that it's really a, f a film about your mom in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so what was it you saw in Annette Benning that made you think this is the woman, this to is the actress to be my mom? <laughs> um, well, my mom is sort of a very funny trickster figure that was born in the 20s, grew up there in the Depression, had a very anti-authoritarian yeah. streak to her, it did not fit into the confines that uh, were offered to women in the 30s and 40s, wanted to be a pilot in World War II, was a drafts person before anybody was, yeah. was a very unusual mother, and, um, and if any sort of man in authority tried to tell her to do anything, she was definitely going to try to undermine yeah. or, or get around that, and with a great sense of humor. So um, Annette has that humor, Annette has that intelligence, Annette is a complicated, rich human being who I thought could inhabit all the paradoxes that a real person has, you know, and that my real mom had. And then Annette's like beautifully, I think she was 55 when I met her, like beautifully 55, mm. you know, and just natural and real and... Um, and gorgeous in that way, and um, I don't know what else. I I find Annette, to me, Annette is like a real deliciously subversive creature. Her sense <laughs> okay. of humor and her intelligence, and that really suited the character. Okay, so I guess in a sort of, I don't know if this is maybe a coincidence or something, but um, in Beginners we had Christopher Plummer kind of making a return to the public limelight after being away for a few years from like public consciousness oh, in the Oscar yeah. and everything. And here in a slightly similar vein, Annette Benning, we haven't really seen her, uh, you know, in this kind of lead film uh -huh. role for a while. Is uh -huh. that something you were thinking about during the film that no. there's kind of this feeling that this is her almost not quite a comeback, but a return to yeah. public no, eye? Not at all. I mean, and Christopher was like in last station right before my movie. Right. Okay. That got a lot of attention for him. Um, I don't really see it that way. Yeah. Just, I need I need an actor who's like seventy nine. I need an actor who's fifty five, yeah. and these are the actors I picked. I didn't. That wasn't part of my, my sure. process. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of these. Sort of, I don't know if I'm paraphrasing a quote from your own film here, but um, the best thing I took from the film is it doesn't take a man to raise a man. Uh huh. Uh, and that's, that's is that a theme you think that's missing from t these kind of coming of age films <coughs> or from just films in general? Uh, well, it, that's just very specific to my mom's character yeah. and to what was happening in my life because I was raised by my mom and my older sisters. And my dad, perhaps because he was a closeted gay man or perhaps just because he was born in the 20s, just wasn't like a super present father mm. figure. So I was raised by a woman, candidly. Okay. And my mom was just a very practical, can-do, depressionary kid. Yeah. Who, and she would think like, well, what do I have? 
Yeah. You know, I would love to have a man. I would love to have the William character in the film be more important to my son. It's just not. Yeah. So what am I going to do with what I have? You, you women seem seem right. And to me, the movie isn't... <clears throat> as a coming-of-age movie, I don't feel like it's a very good movie. <laughs> it's not, in a way, it's not really... The boy doesn't change. The boy doesn't yeah. transform. The boy shows us the women. Okay. The boy is the way that we see this like portrait of these three women. So I feel like it's much more of a meditation on these relationships and these women. Okay. So, um, <coughs> and as a film about a mother-son relationship, uh-huh. is there any kind of technique you use as a director to really sell the fact that this mother and son are a mother and son, like mm-hmm. in the ways you write it, ways you rehearse it, ways you cast it? I guess in the writing would be that I'm really writing about my mom yeah. and me. So it's coming from a very known lived experience. Yeah. And I really believe in that as a great source beginning spot to make something good, okay. you know. Uh, and then in the rehearsal, we did all sorts of weird things to try to make the connective tissue between all my actors. And maybe one of the best things I did was we had to have a lot of dance parties. And I kind okay. of believe in music as like a... <clears throat> music has magical, irrational powers, and dancing is embarrassing and wonderful. <laughs> <clears throat> and it just kind of puts people together in a non-discursive, non-cerebral way. Okay. This film has some amazing like, non-choreographed dance scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, was for how fun was filming then, and how <laughs> tempted were you to just jump in there with them? <laughs> when we were rehearsing, I would dance. Because okay. I feel like the actors are only going to go as far as the director goes. Yeah. So if you're gonna ask them to be goofy, you gotta be goofy yourself. Uh, and then the dancing that happens in the hotel room at the end of the movie, that wasn't in my script. And we did that in rehearsal. And I had them dance like punk music, then like Rolling Stones to kind of represent William's character, uh, Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac to represent Julie's character. And then we got into a Glenn Miller song and they started dancing like that style. Yeah. And it was just really beautiful and kind of communicated what the movie was to me in certain levels, just like these people trying to connect, these people trying to understand each other, and these people kind of like um, out of the historical context they're supposed to be in. So listening to this 30s song in the 70s and finding this little moment of grace in this cheesy bad hotel room um, just felt very poignant and accurate to me to the what I was trying to yeah. say okay right. yeah um, so something I noticed in the film was the uh, many Casablanca references yeah yeah so they're watching the TV uh, yeah. Dorothea says she wants to marry Bogart and yeah. it's the, the the song that ends the film yeah. it's the Casablanca song yeah is that a film that's particularly important to you yeah yeah at this time and my real mom used to always say my next life I'm going to marry Bogart okay so that's that, that I knew I wanted that in the movie and I was thinking of different ways of exploring that and my mom did love Bogart and did watch it and you know being it it kind of explains the generation gap between me and my mom she's Bogart or as time goes by yeah. the Rudy Valley song and I'm uh, why can't I touch it by the buzzcocks okay and we're trying to get towards each other but we're like in impossibly yeah. different places and Casablanca took a strange influence in the movie where they watch it at the beginning mm. and it's the end of the movie where Rick and Elsa are sort of both connecting and yeah. saying that we can't be together. And in a way, that's the story of my film. Uh, Rick and Elsa are like Dorothea and Jamie, are like this mother yeah. and son. They find a way to connect in the movie, 
but the movie's also saying that they'll never be as close as they wanted. Uh, they'll never have quite the relationship they thought they'd have. And there's something very bittersweet in that recognition. And so like the scene at the airport at the end of Casablanca really helped us understand the movie that we were making. Okay, excellent. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. no, I definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, a weird question then, based on the film. When you were that age, did you identify with the black flags or the art flags? Um, I, I, liked the, <laughs> I liked both a lot. The, I did get called an art flag for liking the Talking okay. Heads, and I did have an orange Talking Heads 1977 cool. shirt. Okay. So um, I, that, that's from a very lived experience, that whole, <laughs> that whole thing of being like, uh, that, that was a real division in the punk scene. Yeah. There's like the artier side would get sort of beat up and um, called not real enough by the hardcore side. Yeah, okay. I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Talking Heads fan, uh, so that was quite funny watching the kid with the shirt. I yeah. Like, I have that shirt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. else that really connected with me in a weird way was the um, the asphyxiation scene. Yeah. Because I remember kids doing that, like, when I was at school 10 years ago, and it's yeah. weird that it's a weird thing that different generations have done. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just a weird thing that came yeah, to mind. Yeah, I, I mean, kids, I knew kids that did that. I knew a kid that ended up in the hospital for doing that, so that's kind of where that came from. But it's... Um, it's um, I find it such a '70s thing, but obviously people must have been doing yeah. it before. But to me, it kind of represents the boredom that happened okay. in the '70s, and the sort of lack of options, and even that kind of Jimmy Carter crisis of confidence yeah. speech, and this lack of meaning, and why would you do something so? You're gonna almost kill yourself, or like potentially kill yourself, or make yourself faint just for fun. Mm. You know, it kind of represents American suburban lack of options okay and yeah. you think that's something that's changed substantially no no <laughs> <laughs> but i feel like um it's something that was kind of born in the 70s okay we had enough luxury and privilege by then that we were investigating boredom <laughs> before we're dealing with world war ii then the 50s and then the 60s is all the countercultural stuff the mm. first sort of real break from the american dream that was so active though and then you that collapses, that narrative, that dream didn't work out, and where are you left? Mm. And that's where I feel like you get into all this sort of meaninglessness that the 70s talked about a lot, late okay. 70s. There was a lot of self-consciousness about sort of a lack of purpose. Okay. Um, so something I really admired about the film was um, it's, no it's nostalgic and looking back, but uh -huh. without being too fond or looking back with too much anger, you kind of... Uh -huh. Settle somewhere that feels really real. Is that important to you, to yeah, not be too nice. rose rose lensed looking back? Yeah, I really hope so. I really, I think it, it's it's pushing it in terms of its sentimentality or being mm -hmm. rose lensed. I definitely have a lot of fondness, or just very bittersweet, elegiac feelings about that pre-digital life, yeah. and and my childhood, obviously, and Santa Barbara and my mom. So it's very. And I wanted it to be full of emotion. I watched so many 40s movies and yeah. 30s movies, like in the kind of traditional Hollywood movies, or like yeah. Casablanca, and I haven't had a lot. And they influence this movie in a funny way. So I feel like dangerously close to being sentimental, or I'm sure some people think I am, <laughs> uh, or like just like too charming for its own good. But I kind of like embrace that, like those movies embrace that in a way that I really enjoyed. But, uh, um, yeah, I w to me, I'm using history as a way to help define characters. 
Okay. And I'm really interested in how our personal lives, our inner lives, our ideas we have about ourselves and just like even our loves and our confusion is very much influenced by or defined by the moment in, in the history we're in. Like I, I believe that. Yeah. So I so I'm really interested in beginners in this movie are sort of going back and forth between the micro personal history and the macro um, um, what's going on in American history. Okay. Like channel, whatever you want to call okay, it. Okay, excellent. I think we're going to have to wrap up. But just um, one more question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, so you mentioned, we've mentioned Casablanca. Yeah. You've mentioned films from the 30s and 40s. I'm yeah. wondering what else influenced you for this film? <clears throat> um, well, I loved, I've, this to me is like my Fellini movie. Cool. Okay. Uh, like, uh, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, Abacord, yeah. I feel like this is really similar to that. It's a portrait of a group of people in a particular town in a particular time. And uh, I just adore that movie. And then um, uh, Fellini's Eight and a Half also, like all sure. the camera tracking movements. Uh, Hiroshima, Mona Moore, with the way that you have this one narrative of them in Hiroshima, but then you have these long backstories of her in France. Yeah. And, and, the, and the past is always interrupting the present. And then any Resnais movie, to me, the way he deals with time yeah. and, and is very happy to disrupt time or go back and revisit a scene. I, I love nonlinear time in yeah. film. Okay, that's something that maybe struck me about this film, actually, was how I was, I was surprised how that you'd see a shot just fleetingly and uh, you'd revisit that same shot later yeah. in a different context. I thought that was really something quite interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. And now that you've mentioned it, it's definitely very René-ish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something really good from that. Yeah, and there's another director, um, um, uh, Zazbo, Isvan Zazbo, okay. Hungarian. He did this 1970 film called Love Film, which okay. I adore. It's all about memory and growing up in Budapest during World War II and all that, which, of course, I have no yeah. relation to. But it's an example of how a person's concrete personal memories unexplained inserted into a film can make that film very catchy to someone who hasn't lived anything like that experience mm. just because you smell the realness in it and it doesn't fit into neat storytelling formulas and um, it's like a whole food in that way mm. and uh, that's I love that that's really inspired then all the color smears that happen. Yeah. To me, that's very uh, Chirilova's uh, Daisies. You know, the I have, yeah. yeah, I love that film. Yeah, yeah. I, love, I love that film. And just, um, again, there's a film that's not afraid to entertain. Definitely. And Incredibly just, playful. And, and to yeah. just dance around. Yeah. And um, 
you know, I do, I have internalized enough of Godard's Brechtian rules that it feels very illegal <laughs> to dance around and do color smears, yeah. you know? And so therefore all the more delicious to break those rules, you know? That sounds very much in the spirit of Dorothea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Mike, thank you so much yeah, for joining thank us. You. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. All right, Mike Mills there. Uh, he's one of the coolest people I've ever met. I would get that impression mm-hmm. yeah. from watching his films. Really yeah. cool. Uh, really, really nice to talk to. And when the interview was all finished and we stopped recording, he just kind of stood up and his publicist was there. And he just sort of just said to both of us, oh, just, it's so weird that people are actually watching the film. I just can't believe it. It just feels very weird. Really wow. nice thing to say. Yeah. So he was great. Um, right, so uh, 20th Century Women then. Uh, for me, this is a really incredible film. A really nice story about a family. I just thought it's great, a really great vehicle for Annette Benning to make her quote unquote comeback because she hasn't exactly been away, but she's not been in the limelight or had mm-hmm. this kind of yeah. vehicle for her. I think the last time we've seen such big press was American Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, what did you think of Annette Benning's performance here? I thought she was incredible. Yeah. In this film, and it's also rare that you see a role for a woman yes. of Annette Benning's age uh, being the centre stage like that, and she was absolutely amazing in it. She's just so captivating to watch the whole way through. Yeah, her face is so expressive. Yeah, yeah, uh, I thought she's really terrific in this. Um, but I think it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of being sold as her film, but it's very much an ensemble piece. Oh yeah, oh, for sure. And it, the film is made in the moments of interaction between them. Uh, and it's just it's a film full of just lovely moments and details that make up life and this this life in 1979 uh, and it's it's not hugely driven by its plot and it's more driven by its characters and their interactions mm-hmm. I mean, there there is an arc that runs through it and there's a story runs through it um but i don't that's not it's not like it's some big blockbuster where you need to know everything that's going on uh, you could almost dip in and out of it as well it's sometimes like it's going through old photographs and you f- when you start watching the film you feel like you know them already mm-hmm. it's so mm. warm and enveloping and you're so content to be in there with them and just watch these lives unfold around you yeah and yeah. I think there's no like major destructive thing or changing point that happens to any of these characters during the film it's just a moment of their time in 1979 when the world was changing around them yeah. but they didn't necessarily hugely change within that that time frame yeah and she mentions because the film has multiple narrators mm-hmm. and i think there's one point where uh, annette, annette benning's character dorothea says something talks about it being 1979 counterculture is just about to end and reagan's just about to mm. start so everyone's kind of at a crossroads america is at a crossroads but all the characters are as well yeah but then um, it's it's not like a major change is about to happen in their lives. Yeah. It's just a slow... She's just... Uh, it, her future self is aware that at this point in their lives, they were slowly fading towards something different, yeah, something new. Yeah, they didn't know the shift was happening. But there's not an exact point where it's changed now. It just fade. It, this is watching people fade into another part of their lives. Mm. You've almost got two central characters uh, yeah. with Annette Benning and uh, Lucas Jade Zuman as well as the little boy who's at the centre of it. So... I suppose the narrative begins when um, Dorothea, which is uh, the mother of Jamie, who's mm-hmm. um, uh, Zuman's character, asks the other women that are around him to try and guide him in life. Yeah, yeah she... she kind of sort of says, like, I, it's, it's getting harder and harder to do this as a single parent. 
and harder to teach him everything I need to teach him about the world on my own. So I need your help. Yeah, yeah. and because he is a teenager boy who doesn't want to spend his days with his mum mm-hmm. anymore, but he does want to spend his days with um, uh, young, cool women who can give him advice yeah. and give him books and take him to live music and go skateboarding and go to parties. Uh, and Annette Benning can kind of use them as a vehicle to almost not keep an eye on him but um, learn about what he's like outside of her vision it's to get to know him isn't it Mm. she says that a few times that she feels like she's sad that she can never know the boy that they know and I think that's the thing that a lot of mums feel like when their children get to their teenage years your mum's gone from being the central role in your life yeah. who knows everything about you who you go to for everything to the person that you actually need to push away now to become the person that you need to be yeah she says transition. you get to see him out in the world as a real person and I never will mm. so she this is the kind of like not not her spies but just she uh, she can sleep well knowing that there's someone that will get to see him and knows her as well and kind of make sure he's okay and knows mm. what he's doing I think there's just something really about Dorothea that there's sort of a warmth, a charm and a wit to her but she's also got this kind of acidity to her mm-hmm. that she's also quite biting at times and quite, not horrible, but a little bit sort of cynical when she speaks to people at times. Yeah, I mean, um, there are, throughout you're thinking, oh, she, for, for someone of her age at this time, she's, she's quite liberal. Like, this is yeah. amazing what she's yeah. doing and how much freedom she lets her son have and that she lets uh, like him be with these women and go out. I mean, she's not thrilled about it at points, but she still lets him do it because she, she's very much encouraging to be his own person. Um, and I think she is proud of things that he's done, even if they might be damaging at points too. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are moments, and it's brought up throughout that she was a child of the Depression, and which is mentioned a number of times. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, but then, and then that kind of bitingness comes through, and there are moments where that um, kind of liberal freedom just kind of stretch is stretched to its limit, and she thinks right like as a mother figure like i'm not quite comfortable with mm-hmm. that or that's that's as far as this yeah. can go um and i think that, i think that was a really great introduction to her because it could have been oh hippie mum hippie or, cool or, hippie or, cool or mom. super mum yeah. yeah um or cool cool mum yeah. like gone girl yeah. <laughs> like, the idea of the cool girl yeah. this would be the cool mum um but then it it comes into those contradictions uh, in the same vein that Captain Fantastic mm-hmm. did as well, that you can try and teach your kids this stuff, but uh, there are some times where you do need to kind of put your foot down as well. And I think it's those contradictions and the fact that she's a really real watchable character and you really believe she's a real person. And I think it's so easy to tell that she's based on Mike Mills' own mother. Yeah. Because you can tell she's this character's been written by someone who really knew her and really admired her and really loved her. I think that was really nice to see as well. Mm. Um, and on that note, there's a great bit where um, Elle Fanning's character, Julie, says uh, it's, it's all about, it's all about the, the mother. mother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it is because uh, my, my girlfriend is a very big fan of Miranda July, who is uh, a writer and filmmaker uh, who is married to Mike Mills. And she made me and you and everyone we know. And uh, she is a huge, huge fan of Miranda July and this, read all of her stuff and watched all her stuff and she came out of 20th century women and said 
it's amazing that he's made a film about his mum that's also about his wife. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's all about the mother. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about some of the other characters then. Uh, so we mentioned Jamie there, who is, I guess, in a way, acts as the kind of sort of focal point for us. Yeah, I think he's our gateway, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and he's pseudo Mike Mills in the film. He's kind of a younger version of him. Uh, I think it's a you know we talked about uh, young performers on the show before child actors. I think he really handles his ta- uh, handles his own in a film with big big actors. Yeah, and there are some bits where he's really got to stand his ground with yeah. some stuff that is, yeah uh, creates some very very funny moments with how stoic he is in his delivery of it. Yeah, uh, against someone like Annette Bening, and that yeah. and those moments are hilarious. And it's all down to him being completely driven and that he knows that uh, he knows what he needs to say and he's just going to say it anyway regardless of the fact that he's is he, what is he, how old is he in this? 15 I 15. think Yeah. and I think at, I don't know how old he is in real life but the character's age it's the age where you don't quite know that what you're saying is like out of the ordinary that grown ups yeah. don't say this yeah. like you kind of enter in that you can say something like that's what all grown ups are talking about like yeah. oh no no actually it's not in polite <laughs> company <laughs> there's one scene in particular that really stood out to me and that's the uh, menstruation scene yes. at the dinner table yeah. I can't think of what else to call it uh, yeah just a, a very uh, public conversation about menstruation yeah and I think that's um, Greta Gerwig's Abby's best scene yeah. in the mm-hmm. film as well yeah. just uh, trying to get people around the table to yeah. say the word menstruation and that kind of sums up the best about all the characters as well because Abby's really fighting for people to say that comfortably in a kind of feminist vein but then Dorothea doesn't want people to say it because you're at the dinner table you shouldn't say those things yeah yeah, yeah that's the pinnacle of her contradiction isn't it yeah. she wants to be this liberal woman yeah. but actually like part of her she comes from a completely different generation she has Jamie when she's 40 and she she can't quite let go of some of the past yeah. hang ups I think and but she does she would love everything to be at a point that anyone can talk about anything mm-hmm. but also this is a dinner party with guests yeah. and children and she's probably thinking, oh, there's a time and a place for this conversation. Yeah, um, it's with all the girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It also has Billy Crudup's best line in this scene as well, yeah. which is, uh, never have sex with just the vagina. You have to have sex with the whole woman. Yeah, um, uh, which leads us on to Billy Crudup's yeah. William, who is wonderful. I loved him. Yeah. Very, uh, very cool. I think I might love him with all my heart. <laughs> and his wonderful moustache. Yeah. Yes. So gl- hard to pull off a moustache, and yet he does it with ease. But it's not its not one of these trendy-shaped, waxy ones. No. Like, he's got bits of tufty beard yeah. down there. He's just there because he, he just wants it there, and he's living it like that. <laughs> and, it, and he's really not trying. And he's got really untrendy, but therefore so, so cool glasses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, I don't know if you've seen Almost Famous before. Where he uh, is, a, he is a in a band, right. and he looks exactly the same as he did there. So I like to think that after when the band didn't work out, <laughs> he became this sort of handyman, yeah. and he's the exact same character from Almost Famous. Yeah, um, and you don't really—he's just kind of there when the film starts, and you, it takes you a while to really figure out who he is. Yeah, or what or he why does. Yeah. he's there? Yeah. Very long time because I thought for a while he was just the guy fixing up the house. Had yeah. no idea he was also living there, and it's kind um, of warm commune that's exactly what it feels like because for a while when I first saw this it took me I was like I don't know who what these relationships are I don't know if Abigail's a family member and this and that Mm -hmm. so it does take a while Mm. because most films would uh, have some exposition in the dialogue 
but this one kind of it, it takes its time it get, lets you know the characters then find out the relationship yeah. just casually through the dialogue mm. which works works really nicely so what did you guys think of the narration in the film because I'm often I'm not a fan of narration I think most films don't need it but you think it worked here yeah, it did for me. I really loved it. I loved hearing from different perspectives and it, yeah. it wasn't just Annette Benning's character and she kind of kicked it off and then you got other people dipping in along the way and some not yeah. till the very end. But I loved hearing their stories, their points of view and also that it was from way in the future. I, I really liked this and it, and it made me feel like this was Mike Mills' film as well because of watching Beginners. I can't remember it direct, directly where he says this is what grass looks like, this is what trees look like, uh, this is what a blah blah dress looks like and that's Ewan McGregor in that mm. and I I like that way of using the narrator to give you context and backstory but it's not really expositional it's just kind of telling you about the world yeah. mm -hmm. um, and so rather than telling you about these characters it's the narration's almost telling you about the world that they're in I thought, I, I really like it, it's so nice, it's almost like this uh, lovely lecture for a bit because the narration comes over old archive footage or stills yeah. and again these don't come with context uh, it's not like we cut to these stills because someone's going through a photo album they're just there mm -hmm. um, yeah. and I think that's great and it brings this desynchronicity to the film and it just kind of takes you out for a bit um, but it's still within that world and you've got these voices and it's uh, yeah it's just really lovely to watch because they've all got lovely voices and yeah. you can just listen to them talk yeah. about the state of the world and I'd be fine with that and Mike Mills talked about how he's interested in real people and real people's lives but I think the film it doesn't look like a realist film I think it's 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 warmer than that. It's more colourful than real life. Mm. And I think he's done that on purpose, as it's supposed to be someone's memory. Mm. And you've talked about that mm. with the um the narration taking place years in the future. That this is like people looking feels like people looking back on their lives really warmly. Uh, because the, there's so many bright colours in this film. Yeah, like especially when the car's driving yeah, and, and it becomes the, like a negative yeah, and like the, the colours blur. Flourishes, yeah. things like that. Yeah, I think that's really a real, real nice touch that a lot of filmmakers would be scared to do mm. when they're telling this kind of biographical film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, particularly if you're trying, you're. It's almost like a magical realism yeah. at points, um, yeah. like this sun-drenched film look to it. Um, and those moments do kind of take you out of the film, but they make you aware that this is this is not. This is a heightened reality. Yeah. This is the way that we view memories. How how long is the film set over? I can't remember. Is it just a summer or uh, did not say? It's never explicitly. Never no. explicitly said. No, because um, he's not at school. I got the impression. Yeah, it's it feels like summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the final character we haven't talked about yet is uh, Elle Fanning's character, who so, uh, so cool. But yeah. She's, cool. she's had an amazing year with yeah. uh, the Neon Demon, and now this. Yeah. She's become this kind of indie queen indie mm -hmm. princess and uh, she's in The Beguiled which is the new Sofia Coppola and there's a new trailer for that yesterday and she's in that and uh, that looks really cool as well yeah she's making excellent career choices isn't yeah. she mm -hmm. she's not just doing the big franchise stuff that a lot of young actresses would do mm. uh, I just love the whole um, idea of her sneaking into his bed but then refusing to have sex with him yeah, <laughs> yeah. I loved as well that she is obviously really cool in this whole scene but you're also showing that actually she is quite 
like damaged as well. Yes. Their behavior that she's portraying isn't actually kind of safe behavior for her mental health or the people around her, but also that she's not so damaged she's beyond repair. This is a phase of her yeah. life she's going through where things are difficult for her and she doesn't know how to express herself, but that she's going to get past that. And uh, okay, let's touch on Abby a bit more then. So this is Greta Gerwig, who, like Elle Fang, I guess, has this kind of niche of this um, sort of indie hipster film uh, filmography going on mm-hmm. for her. Uh, Jack, you're a big Greta Gerwig fan, I aren't you? I certainly am. I love Greta Gerwig <laughs> so much. She's brilliant. In and everything. how was she in this? She was superb. And uh, her hair is amazing in yep. this, this cropped red hair. Um, and, I mean, I don't want to say that um, I've fallen in love with two characters from the same film. <laughs> um, but when she was at art school, she saw the man who fell to earth and cut her hair and dyed it red. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, she's cool. She's so, so cool. She's impossibly cool. Um, Yeah, Uh, I think she's great in this. And there's a really lovely bit where she she starts this new photo project where she's going to make this self-portrait without Mm -hmm. the self. And she takes photos of everything that she owns. I was like, why haven't I thought of something like that? (laughs) Um, And then she, uh, she's... Like quite proud of it and she takes it to William Billy Crudup's character and shows it to him and he just says it's really sad which <laughs> 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 I thought but like you know like he's because he's very emotional he's very yeah. raw and he wears his heart on his sleeve and he he mean, means that in the nicest way and it leaves a really lovely sex scene between them where she asks him to pretend to be a photographer uh, it's very very lovely and there's so many moments that are both laugh out loud and really heartwarming, yeah, just yeah. like that sex scene. There's a few moments where you're just like, I cannot believe you're doing this. Yeah. And then, Should I be laughing at this? Or <laughs> yeah. is this really sad? Yeah. 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 I, loved, I loved her dancing oh, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing dancing. You can just watch her dancing in it. Also, yeah. Greta Gerwig's a trained ballerina as well. Yeah. And she's like, with all her spiky movements, yeah. she must have been really wow. trying hard. <laughs> yeah. Trying hard to do bad dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to point out that uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Sam purchased a pink Talking Heads t-shirt with green writing on. Uh, and... I thought, oh, that's a pretty cool T-shirt. Sam's cool. Sam's a cool guy now. <laughs> I mean, he likes the Talking Heads, and uh, uh, he's got the T-shirt to prove it. And uh, then I watched this film and found out Sam's not as cool as I thought. I and saw this film and thought, I'm just going to buy that T-shirt and not tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he had the advantage of seeing this a month ago, yeah. and had a month of people thinking, oh, he's cool. And now, now it's all crumbled. It's all before. gone. Yeah. I was hoping this film wouldn't get released in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so I could pull off. So you stole your fashion choices from a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've stole it from Mike Mills. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so before we finish, uh, just like to thank CSR for letting us use their studio once again. And on Curzon Home Cinema this week, I would like to recommend the collection of the 2017 BAFTA shorts because the BAFTAs are taking place this Sunday and all the nominees for sh- uh, Best Short Film are available on Curzon Home Cinema now. Jake, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is, uh, just because I mentioned uh, uh, The Beguiled, uh, earlier in the show um, there is Melancholia on there which has got Kirsten Dunst in um, a Cannes award winning performance uh, for Lars von Trier and she appears in uh, The Beguiled teaming up with Sofia Coppola again uh, after Marie Antoinette and Virgin Suicides um, so go and check that out if you want some really 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 great Kirsten Dunst in your life 
Excellent. And Jenna? I'm going to recommend Sunita, which is about an Afghan refugee in Iran uh, who has tried to be uh, forced into an arranged marriage, but instead has become a rapper. And yeah, it follows her. And I haven't actually seen it myself. I'm watching it this week and I'm really excited about it. So I want people to talk to you about it. Excellent. And we've also got a little bonus treat for you because on Sunday uh, we'll be releasing a special mini episode, uh, which Jake's going to tell you about now. Yeah, um, so I'm speaking to Grant Goshik, who is an uh, academic focusing on post-war, mid-20th century American literature, um, and he has studied all of August Wilson's plays and the entire Pittsburgh cycle, uh, with a particular focus on Fences, uh, which is coming out uh, with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, and it's a, it's a remarkable film, um, and I think it's just going to be really interesting to sit down Uh, with someone perhaps slightly out of the film world who can give us a bit more background on Wilson, the Pittsburgh cycle, uh, Fences, uh, the variations between Fences the play and Fences the film, how successful it is at that, and just to give us a bit more background on the film, really. Great, so that's available uh, on Sunday uh, and it will be available in the same places that the podcast is available. Yeah. Uh, and also a quick reminder that we do have a competition this week, so that is a chance to win uh, a vinyl copy of 20th Century Women's soundtrack, which we didn't, we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I think we all really loved it. Oh, yeah, oh, certainly. Yeah. It's got the talking heads in. I know, <laughs> the best band of all time. Uh, so uh, a question will be appearing on our various social media platforms at some point today. The answer to that question we have said in the show at some point, so uh, make sure you are listening intently. Okay, so that's goodbye from Jake. Goodbye. Goodbye from Jenna. Bye. Goodbye from me, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.